Hello and welcome to the Voice of Reason podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's guest is Jane Gatsby, who is a philosophess or a philosophatress, somebody who's uh, getting started in the intellectual community by publishing a podcast. The cool thing about the podcast community is that you just start reaching out to people, people with bigger uh, platforms than you, smaller platforms than you, and you try to just, everybody tries to lift everybody up. And so I try to spend a portion of my time reaching out to new voices. Jane Gatsby came to my attention a few months ago, but then just in October, she posted an Instagram style uh, kind of parody of a James Lindsay sexy costume. And uh, she got a lot of attention and I looked into her stuff again. I saw somebody who is trying to step-by-step build an understanding of the world based on philosophical principles. So I wanted to give her a chance to explore those principles with me on my channel. And if you like her stuff, definitely check it out. The links to her podcast and YouTube channel are down there in the description. So without further ado, here is Jane Gatsby. Well, let's, uh, let's open with that. What is this podcast? Um, I'm still struggling with how I should want to like describe it to people. It's essentially, it's me trying to lay out a philosophy that I'm in the process of developing that kind of starts with like first principles and then over time is going to evolve into like politics and policies and practices and all the rest of it. Um, and I, but I'm telling it through this, like sort of a fairy tale analog that's going on. So the ideas are being explored but then there is something that maybe makes it a little bit more accessible for people if they're not familiar with those ways of thinking. Hmm. Yeah. So first principles and uh, I would think probably mythology is more first principle like, but fairy tale is uh, a really good middle ground between the really hardcore mythos and then the more uh, modern kind of thing. It's more of a protean, uh, childlike, uh, playful way of engaging with these ideas. Uh, that's yeah. how I've thought of it. Yeah, like it starts off, like the first episode is just about philosophy as a concept and trying to outline like what that what that is and what it looks like and what the different domains are. And so I explore that through like this metaphor of a maze. So essentially I'm trying to like put the really complicated ideas I'm describing into some real world context that makes them a little bit easier to explore. And that's been fun. Well, what's the, what are these first principles? Actually, what are first principles? <laughs> um, I guess in my head, those would be like just starting positions that you're laying as like the absolute groundwork to then set up more and more ideas that build off of them. Um, so for me, I'm starting with just explaining like, like the essay I adopted the first episode off of it, or I guess it's like the speech that Ayn Rand delivered, which is mm. controversial. Um, but she does a really good job of like laying out through this little metaphor of a story, kind of what the value of philosophy in day to day life. And so then I tried to adopt the story that she took and make it into something that vibed a little bit better with me. She has it with like an astronaut or something like going and exploring space. But essentially the idea of like, if you suddenly end up in an unfamiliar world, you're going to have three questions on your mind, which is where are you? How can you discover where you are and what you should do? And then those are um, the philosophical domains of metaphysics, epistemology and ethics. Oh, okay. So I use the first episode as like a basis of describing, well, why are these questions that would be coming up? And then what are kind of appropriate ways of exploring them and discovering them? So if you are on this alien planet being a room um, and you're connected to all these other people in their own pods, uh, what are, what, what's the metaphysics then? You, you, you describe three things, metaphysics, epistemology, and ethics. Mm -hmm. So what, I guess, where are we? What, what is the metaphysic of COVID bubble time? <laughs> um. I don't really know. I like for me, I was just going in terms of like reality is a thing that you need to contend with. Like that's what I mean okay. by first principles, like super basic, forgetting all the complexities and nuances of our actual lived day to day life. But just the fact that like existence exists, if you want to go from like Cartesian ideas, um, COVID time, I don't really know. That's <laughs> do a lot to unpack. Hmm. Well, OK, Definitely. so if you say reality or existence exists, from your point of view, how do you, since you're a philosopher, so you want to you want to get to some sort of stable understanding or way of communicating, I guess, 
understanding would be the epistemology part of this, but what is existence then? Or, or how do we start with some sort of grounding for you? Um, how do you do that? I think like um, acknowledging that there is a reality is a good starting point, which seems kind of so superficial, but these days that's something that people are liking to contest more and more. So yeah. just getting on the groundwork of like, okay, we're in some, some shared space that we can see and recognize and that has a character that is one way and not another. Okay. Um, and then what I do is like, like I outline what the three domains are and then the subsequent three episodes are me exploring each of those different domains with my personal interpretation. So like the introductory episode is essentially saying like metaphysics is an idea that you need to be reckoning with in some capacity or another. And then the second episode is me exploring my conception of metaphysics where I kind of use complexity theory. Do you know what that is? No. Could you explain that? Um, it's complicated to explain. Um, <laughs> complexity theory is like looking at how there's all these different complex systems that exist in the world, both like natural and social, and they'll consistently crop up and they've got certain properties and what those properties look like. Um, so the second episode is like me deep diving into explaining all that and unpacking those ideas. But essentially I use that as a starting position of like, to me, it seems like there's this consistent character that crops up in all these different ways of reality manifesting that has certain properties that are stable and if you can understand those properties and how to um interpret them then that'll i, I don't know it's like it's, it's hard to explain um essentially like an ant colony is an example of a complex system as is like social media yeah. or um, the way sand dunes form or something like that. And if you can know the consistent properties that exist between all of them, then you can kind of analyze them with a certain uh, framework that gives you a good starting point. So I think we need to root this into something. I think social media is a good starting point because that is one, where we're connecting, two, where you are active yourself. And it seems like to some degree you're playing around with existing in that realm. So how does... Um, complexity theory or the understanding of being aware of these complex uh, systems that do have consistent properties help you navigate and furthermore do work within or amass reality or personality or a brand or whatever within the realm of social media? So like a good example would be um, complex systems have like tipping points or butterfly effects in them. I'm sure you know what that is, right? Yeah. The idea of like a small action ripples out in the world. So that's a great example of like, if you're thinking about a video that goes viral or something like that, that would be an instance of like, someone's posting this, it gets one more upvote on Reddit or whatever it is. And that causes it to go to like another page. So somebody else sees it. So then yada, 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 suddenly it's like, you've got a viral video. So if you can know, okay, maybe that's a helpful mechanism to navigate the online realm of like, if you have your cards stacked up right and something flicks in the right direction, then you're going to reap a lot more rewards from it. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure. Well, this is, this is the interesting thing. Um, and this might be, uh, somewhat controversial or, uh, troublesome, uh, for me to raise up, but you got a lot of attention for very craftily. <laughs> you made a very crafty, uh, photo. Uh, and and you showed a lot of understanding of what that photo would do. So you posted a photo dressed as, well, could you explain that? Because that sure. garnered you a lot of attention. Yeah. So that's what I was thinking of in my head. It was like, and I thought I, I had the idea of doing it. And I was like, okay, this is probably like, hopefully James seems it. It would be pretty funny. But I was not expecting it to get the reaction it did. But essentially, James had been posting, James Lindsay, clearly, had been posting um, earlier in October saying like, asking people to dress up as a sexy version of him for Halloween. And I thought that that would be a fun idea. I went and I looked at his profile picture because it's such an, like, an iconic photo and he uses it all the time to like respond to the haters and stuff. I'm like, okay, this is a good, like there's just enough pieces that are precise, but like I can go to a thrift shop and find them all really easily. Um, so <laughs> I took it upon myself to dress up as a sexy version of James Lindsay and then spent the day with my friend taking some pictures and found the one I liked the best and posted it online, hoping that it would get a bit of a response, but then, yeah, the response was bigger than I anticipated. So you had an awareness, you took a form of the E, uh, sorry, in my interpretation, you took the, uh, I guess the genre of the E girl or the thought 
Um, <laughs> I don't know how you pronounce that. So you took oh, that yeah. genre and then you you placed it upon the uh, Lindsay uh, kind of uh, aesthetic. You you merge those two things. You know that there's a lot of power in the thought or the e girl or the cam girl. Mm-hmm. What's what term should we use for that? I I know what you mean. Um, I don't know. <laughs> okay, so so the uh, the female who. Uh, garners attention due to her femininity, usually young, uh, and I guess max upon or uh, uses male attention to gain presence. And then yeah. you have this other realm of discourse, which is the, I don't like using this term, but the centrist, uh, anti-woke, um, some call it IDW, but the James Lindsay, he's a machine in and of himself, but he's in this own whole domain of thought. You merge those two things. My question, though, is that in garnering attention um, through that photo shoot, you're, po- you're propping yourself up to become an e thought the the genre of the thought or the e girl the cam girl the 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 sexy uh kind of attention grabber is stronger than the james lindsay thing so if you build your reputation on the e thought stuff you will have a different reality the mes- metaphysic mm-hmm. that you're going to be interacting with will be of a different shape um of a different pattern than if you just did a purely textual uh, interaction with that. Totally. Uh, so how do I mean, you like, navigate that when you... Well, one of my intentions, like, I, the the philosophy and the politics is definitely, like, what I'm interested in, like, long-term career-wise, and, like, getting involved in talking about ideas on the internet has been something I've wanted to do for, like, a few years now, and I've just been hmm. slowly, like, waiting until I'm done school and building up my ideas and getting comfortable and feeling like... And then everything sets in with COVID, and it's like, okay, yeah, now it's time to start putting words out into the world. But the podcast, too, I'm kind of designing in a way where, like, the intended audience is definitely, like, all of those guys that were so moved by Jordan Peterson like four years ago that then maybe like leaned back into the left by a handful of ContraPoints videos or whatever it is. And like, hmm. essentially there's like, I feel like there's a whole demographic of like, you know, younger men who are were really swayed by these ideas, but then maybe don't quite have enough of a footing to be able to ground their arguments against their social justice warrior girlfriends or whatever it is. So <laughs> I, I want to be talking about ideas, but I also, I have no problem leveraging sex appeal to garner attention if that's going to, you know, increase viewership or something. That's a really good point. Um, or it, that surface or th- that tact, it seems like it's coming from a, a place of care, understanding that the manipulation the men are even seeking the manipulation. The audience is already there. The audience is already primed at the pump, uh, you could say, for that sort of uh, engagement on the very surface level. But it seems like you have a desire, I need to explore that, to shift them away from what you call social justice into a more Petersonian engagement uh, with things. So let's outline, like, why do you think that you would like people to go toward away from the left you haven't described the positive uh or defined the positive so where do you want to push them and why um politically i'm a libertarian (laughs) so um but i think an unconventional one maybe like that's something where later in episodes in the podcast i want to kind of deep dive into personal ideas and solutions i have for politics um but i think just watching the culture war unfold over the past handful of years or something i've been completely infatuated with like that idw group of thinkers and stuff like that but then also very consistently getting frustrated by like oh i don't think they're quite making the best argument that they could be making in a certain context or something and then maybe that's alienating some of their audience that was otherwise on board then to kind of reconsider some of their positions right if you're not giving the best defense of a set of ideas so um like i like all those thinkers a lot but then i also i think like there's some maybe more nuance or complexity that could be Mm. layered in, which is what I'm interested in providing. Mm -hmm. The the weird thing about the the anti-IDW stuff or the people who are critics of the IDW, it seems like there's a failing of understanding that the ideas aren't finished. They shouldn't be finished. There's always more. It's like a fractal or like, um, and by which I mean, uh, there's this guy, uh, Mandelbrot, and mm-hmm. I think, or somebody was trying to figure out the 
complete surface area of Britain. And if you do it mathematically, it's actually infinite because the yeah. more you zoom up, the more space there is. So it's actually an infinite uh, distance. And I think that most arguments or even collections of arguments or di realms of discourse there's always more to do. There's always going to be a gap where we can explore. There's more nuance. There's infinite nuance. So to say that, um, to, to make a judgment that would completely, and I'm not saying that you're doing this, but I think that there's a desire to cast that entire group of thinkers, of which I might be a part, might not, into this realm of reactionary or insufficient is just, is not really understanding that this is an evolving thing that needs more people and needs more discourse. There's always more realms or more land or more curvature to map out so there's yeah it should be always growing and morphing in a way yeah i think definitely one of my biggest uh, like frustrations with that collection of thinkers is just that there seems to be such an emphasis on critiquing the far left and the woke and all the rest of it and saying like look at how crazy these people are all the rest of it, but then without ever kind of acknowledging, well, where are their legitimate grievances being raised, and what okay. are yeah. what are frameworks that are actually kind of integrating those complaints or those concerns into something that's more holistic that that integrates that. Hmm. Um, like I feel like I've for years I was listening to every single podcast I could get my hands on, or every debate or lecture or whatever it was. Um, and more recently, it just seems like exhausting and that like it's just the same talking points being repeated again and again, where people are kind of sitting down and being like, yeah, this wokeness has kind of gone crazy. Yeah. Oh, my God. But like there's any there isn't anything like, OK, and this is what we should do moving forward. Um, so I'm definitely a lot more interested in building ideas that are going to be hopefully applicable in the next 50 to 100 years or something hmm. like that. Better systems for the future, but not so concerned with the chaos of today. I, okay. I like theory over practice for sure. Yeah. So what's one thing that's kind of your, uh, that, that gnaws on you that you really like something in the current discourse, uh, or some topic that's alive today that, that you keep on, uh, ruminating on in a, like a positive way or a negative way, or just that's Anything, like having like, a lot of brain space. What's the bee in your bonnet? One topic. Sure. Uh, like, cause right now I'm just kind of with the podcast is forcing me to take the time to really hash out in detail and like okay. refine my thinking in lots of areas that I've already been kind of concerned with for a few years now. So I feel like it's forcing me to retread old ground and like make sure I really have my footing. Okay. Um, but currently, I don't know if there's anything in particular that I've been like gnawing away at the back of my head. There's lots of stuff that I'm excited to get into. That's kind of like theories that I've been spinning around, but I haven't had the opportunity yet to like really settle in and explore to all of the depths that I can. Um, but that's mostly like political theory stuff. Can you give me an example? <laughs> like one specific? Um, yeah, like I've got interesting ideas about land. Um, I think I'm a libertarian, but I don't believe in land ownership. <laughs> oh, really? Um, I know that's a little like bit property. No, property is fine, but physical, like the land itself, like you can own a house, but you can't own the ground that it's built on. Because huh. the world's the only truly limited resource, right? So how can you have any claim to a plot of the earth? Is it the, is it limited though? I mean, that goes back to the surface of the world. If you divide it, there's still infinite land. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> you can build an apartment building with 72 floors, right? If you have the ingenuity and resources to do that. I think just like the idea of like the right to take up space or like I find both on the far right and on the far left, there's lots of people who are like, oh, I just want to get out of this like society that I'm living in in this big city and go build a cabin in the woods somewhere and be free. But then there's yeah. this idea of like people my age are like, well, I can't just get up and do that because I need twenty, thirty thousand dollars to buy a little plot of land to build on, and like there's a huge barrier to entry here. Hmm. So that's that's an idea that I'm like toying with in my head, but I don't want to have any like big fast commitments on. I'm not ready to defend it yet, but it is something I've been thinking about. Um, why also, though? Like, like why why do you want to protect the land from um, ownership? And does that extend to countries? Shouldn't have borders? No, a country should have borders. But then to me, it's like your I, I think because the, the concern is that if I see I'm not sure if I'm ready to get into this yet okay then if people if you can just have somebody and have who has a lot of wealth buy up all the land and then you're born somewhere but you don't can't legally live anywhere 
that presents a problem, right? Like okay. if there's not physically any space that you're allowed to take up without paying rent to some landlord somewhere, which maybe okay. COVID has influenced a little bit because that's been something that's cropped up a lot is everyone's kind of, you know, it would be appropriate to put a moratorium on rents, but then there's so many other issues with that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, land is something I've got, I, I, that'll be a deep dive, maybe four or five episodes from now. I, I've got a bone to pick with like intellectual property too, property rights. I don't um hmm. Do you want to go full China or do you want to go full uh, Silicon Valley where these companies eat up all of the uh, tech? Um, I I don't think either. (laughs) I I mean, just in terms of like, like ownership of like a song or something like that. I think there may be kind of interesting or patents and things like that. How how can you own an idea and what does that look like? And um, in terms Hmm. of law and all the rest of it. And then there's another one. Oh, police. I've got interesting ideas about reforming police, too. In what direction? Um, towards um, reframing the, the role that we think of a police performing in society and what a police station looks like. I, I, my idea was like you replace police become protectors and police stations become community centers. Because if you're living in a world where you've got such limited government, then it would make sense that you've got one hub where community members are going to access all of their kind of government services. Um, and that, that's an idea that I started developing like back a few months ago when all the protests were going on. But that'll hmm. be coming soon. So you say uh, police are protectors? Protectors yeah. from what? For, you know, for your, your rights as a citizen. Uh, from what though? From oh, harm. where are from harm? Your okay. property, yeah, like the okay. usual things. Okay, oh, <laughs> I I'm thinking. Uh, you bring up a lot of uh, things about property, and then uh, who enforces uh, the property? And that property is intellectual rights, land, but ultimately the property that we're most concerned with is the individual, and uh, the individual has sovereignty over at least their self, then their body, then their room, then their uh, personal relationships, right? And then their house. You, you, uh, without the land, I don't know what it's going to stand on, but the, the police are going to uh, make sure that these uh, individuals' agency and sovereignty are protected from each other and from government. So what is that human entity? What is the individual? Because that, I don't know if that is necessarily covered within those three domains. I guess it is in ethics, but where's the psyche or the, the, the spirit? What is your conception of the individual? Flawed, hungry, uh, destitute, alone, just a, a mind. Uh, I think therefore I am a monad. Where do you begin um, with the self? Like what is that, the building block of, of, everything that philosophy interacts with i think i'm a big determinist so i i think people are you know who you are is just a consequence of the the environment you're raised in and stuff like that so that means you know it's got good reason for empathy but i, I also think people are like um people people get so mad at the term rational agents but i do think that's true insofar as you're capable of knowing things um so, yeah, I'm definitely not someone who believes that everyone's got a unique soul or anything like that. But I think that's for the better, because if there's nothing that makes any of us kind of different from the rest, then that means that you should be able to have total compassion and empathy towards other people. Because hmm. if you if you see other people as just being like a product of all these causes that came to influence them, then there's nothing that really divides who we are hmm. fundamentally. Is there no, I, the problem I have with that is uh, then nobody's responsible for themselves. Therefore, nobody owns anything because it's all just kind of accident. Like there's no uh, individual uh, that, you know, overstands their circumstances, what they've been handed. Right? Oh, I completely think that's possible. So the last podcast I did was all about talking about why I, my interpretation is why Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson disagree specifically mm-hmm. on the topic of like free will and determinism and essentially the argument i'm making is that people are deterministic but whatever you you are capable of making choices it just happens that whatever choice you ultimately make is the only thing you could have done given that circ- set of circumstances and inputs but if you have an mm-hmm. environment that kind of um emphasizes the capacity for people to make choices or like pull themselves up by their own bootstraps whatever it is then you will have 
more successful actors as a outcome of that. Like your, your beliefs turn into the outcomes that you're manifesting. So that would explain the, like the historical reason that there has been a religious narrative ethic that always emphasizes the individual's capacity to go out and make meaningful changes in their life and in the world. So you can still have that, but it's the influence is still like deterministic ultimately. Hmm. Okay. And then, um, so where do you find yourself then uh, when you assemble uh, what has been handed to you then? I guess you're using philosophy as a way to build your own agency. Um, whether or not free will is a myth or not, you have to pretend it is, it's real because you are in an environment that tells you that uh, you should pretend it's real. So there's a should there. So what are you actually building of your own agency? And what do you uh, project that to be? You're building first principles, but beyond that. I, like, I, I don't know if I'd say it's you're pretending. I, I think for me, it seems like there's once you have an understanding that your expectations beget outcomes in the world, then that allows you to reframe your psychological approach in a way that's going to be more open-minded, more optimistic, um, ideally like more hardworking and all the rest of it. Because you, the, if you can understand that kind of inverse causality where like if you go out into the world going like, okay, this is what I want, this is what I'm going to do to achieve it, then the things are going to appear to you in a way that makes it easier for that to happen in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what else did you ask? Well, uh, I, I'm going to reorient the question. Why do you think that leftism or social justice, uh, and we don't have to talk about the uh, the craziness of the woke, just mm-hmm. why do you think that social justice or, I guess, leftish or communist uh, ideals are not the correct way for society to go? Why would you? Because I am an individualist. Okay. Right. Like, so I believe in the primacy of the individual, and I believe that you should use your own mind and your own judgment in order to make choices, make decisions and move forward in the world. So I'm against any sort of collectivism or any ideas that suggest that you should give your own judgment to somebody else and be like, well, maybe I don't understand where you're coming from, but I'm just going to have faith that like, you know, whatever, I'm going to believe some other authority other than your own sense of judgment. Um, I think that's ultimately my biggest issue with it. And that has to be developed then. It's a continual process of investigating oneself, what you believe, and then the outputs of it, rather than uh, seeding authority, the decision-making, and also the coalition of causes and effects to a central authority. You're taking that upon yourself then. And what's yeah. that individual based on? How do you know that you can trust yourself and not the authority? Um, that's an interesting question. I think you, like you, your your t- intentions and your values have to be aligned in in a positive direction, right? I think you can't be um, maybe being goal oriented and not like success oriented or something, right? You shouldn't be living your life in order to please other people or to be validated externally. It should be by your own uh, standards of values and judgments. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure. What are some where, what are some of those good uh, standards I, I, personally, or that you would like to propagate um, standards of judgment? Like, what are what are the ideals? Uh, um, beauty, I'm, truth, I'm an objectivist, goodness. so yeah, um, yeah, all those things. Sure, um, I think you sh- you should live your life for your own sake, for your own happiness, um, and yeah, like. I think just ultimately being true to your your own self is a really big deal. But then also just not having those be, I'm not sure what I'm saying. <laughs> well, let, let's uh, define objectivist then. What's the object there? And what's um, the ness that's attached to that object? Objectivism is like the philosophy of Ayn Rand. So that essentially um, she's got a, a deep commitment to objective reality as being an anchor uh, for philosophy and then seeing the individual as um, the should, that should be the proper level of analysis in terms of approaching and integrating the world. Um, so just a highly individualist stance, essentially. That um, 
I think one of the criticisms of Ayn Rand, um, Ayn Rand uh, is that uh, where's the compassion there? It kind of seems rather cutthroat. Uh, I think that, that that's kind of generally why people have such a strong reaction to objectivism is that it uh, the the best gets everything. Whoever can perform the best, the sociopath, whoever can be most cutthroat, um, gets to rule the world. Where does compassion uh, figure into that? Um, So I'd say I don't see success as being a zero-sum game. Um, To me, there's no issue. Like Everyone can um, be the hero in their own life's journey or whatever it is, right? Just because I'm successful doesn't mean other people can't be successful and vice versa. and then in terms of compassion, nothing of, of, of about objectivism is like anti-compassion, but it all is, again, the same idea that it should be your judgment that's exercising um, and like discerning essentially who is worthy of compassion. And hmm. that that is um, a judgment that shouldn't be sacrificed to some higher source that wants to make like blanket statements about, oh, you know, we should feed every poor person or whatever it is. Not that I'm against feeding the poor, um, but... Y- you know, if someone has not earned whatever it is that they are seeking, then you aren't any, under any obligation to give it to them. Hmm. Why is that metric of earning something so important? Why is that so valuable? Um, because life doesn't owe you anything. And so the idea that you then, as a person who wants something from the world, can you know use the state to your advantage to then force that from another person that um, by objectivist standards is an immoral idea. And there's a, um, going back to wokeness, um, there's kind of a, uh, somehow that system has produced the heroic victim or the person who bases their uh, claim to resources. And by resources, I don't mean monetarily, alone, but the authority over other people, uh, the authority over attention, um, based on their victimhood or their weirdness or their outcastedness, mm-hmm. uh, that, that becomes valuable in that system. And so that produces a lot of really weird phenomena that we call the woke, where you have these weird people who are going off the rails, uh, and they're going off the rails either because they perceive somebody else being harmed, or they, they perceive themselves being harmed, or they perceive themselves being marginalized by these systems. Uh, is that something that... Um, can be countered uh, by this objectivism, the, this uh, supplanting everything on earning uh, something uh, on a positive value of pr- production, um, I guess. Is that the count? Yeah. I, like I'd say, I think lots of the, it's so sad, like lots of the mental health issues that you see nowadays are the result, I would argue, of like bad framing devices that people have adopted that f- for, um, encourage people to kind of enhance all of the worst possible aspects of their life and themselves and focus all their energy there rather than in the positives that it could be going on or ways that they could be benefiting themselves. It becomes like a little, again, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's a feedback loop. Um, And, and again, because I'm a determinist, it's like I've got total compassion for these people. It's just a matter of like, you need to equip them with better tools that will allow them to live their lives more happily and productively Hmm. Um, does that kind of answer your question? How do we then, uh, what is the way of combating that framework or those frameworks? Right. So people, okay. So people, we critique and I'm guilty of this too. I, I try to not do it so much anymore. I'm trying to move in the direction that you're positing. Um, but it's very easy to see the effects, the outcomes. There was a uh, very salacious video of this, uh, New York, city education, um, you know, some sort of board where the women uh, had all read the right books, White Fragility, and probably How to Be an Anti-Racist. And uh, they saw that there was this one man who had bounced a brown baby on his knee, and they, the women flew off the handle absolutely flew off the handle. We're completely out to lunch. Uh, so that was a really good example of, you know, what I tried to argue, these ideas lead to this behavior. These ideas lead to this behavior. What are some mm-hmm. better ideas 
specifically, let's target um, something uh, that is, uh, I don't know what's going on in Canada that is the, the main issue, but I know that Canada and the U.S. have similar, um, we're working through similar issues around equity. You have government pushing uh, these ideas of social justice, of trying to uh, reallocate resources towards the categories that are most uh, underrepresented or oppressed historically. Um, so how do you combat that narrative of fixing the world, fixing people through these government programs or through this social justice ideology? What are some weak points that you're exploring or aiming at? Um, I think, like again, the biggest problem with social justice is just the fact that it, it is, it's so bad for people's mental health in terms of like the victimhood mentality is just so destructive to your livelihood and it's not beneficial in any capacity. Um, <laughs> you're signing yourself up for misery by buying into that set of ideas. Um, and then also just personally, I don't think that, I think you, we could fix a lot of problems in the world in a generation or two, if you just had a better ideas at the bottom level. Mm. Um, so to me, like I'm not, I'm not someone who's pro equity. <laughs> um, I, I think that leads to bad outcomes, no matter how you try to tackle it. And that shouldn't be desirable either. Um, I think so long as you can kind of raise a standard of living and well-being for people generally, then that's that's fine. There, there, there shouldn't be any expectation that everyone would have the same outcome in life. Um, it, I'm not quite sure how people are so swayed by that idea or how they don't kind of see the inherent issues with that because there's always going to be some factor that you can identify that's creating an unequal outcome mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i was reading this reddit post I, I can't it was on change my view i can't remember what the question was but what stuck me was this comment about somebody wanting to they don't want billionaires to exist. So they're design they're trying to design a society where billionaires don't exist. And it just seems so puerile. It's like who cares? Ultimately, who cares if there's a big difference between the top and the bottom if the bottom is getting enough? And what's mm -hmm. enough? We can define what enough is, but enough should be relative to what? Relative to the billionaire or relative to 20 years ago, right? So the Pinker argument is that you look at enlightenment and how these liberal ideals or whatever you want to call them have lifted more and more people out of out of poverty over history. So if you look at history where we were, um, we're actually coming, you can see all the positive. If you look at the disparity now, you're looking at Jeff Bezos and I guess the uh, tent city or how you have to pay off your student loans because you made that decision to take out student loans for this gender studies degree or for, you know, lawyer degree or something like that. It yeah, just it, yeah, it really is an agree. interesting framing and I don't I don't really understand why people uh why it's so attractive to people. And so another good example of like you asked about complex systems earlier is um complex systems always tend towards 80/20 distributions or Pareto distributions, right? With like the big hockey stick. Um so that's something where if you're approaching economics with an expectation that uh, money is going to be distributed in like a bell curve, then you're going to look at like, oh, the top 1% own whatever it is, 50% of the wealth. And like that, clearly there's some issue going on here. But if you understand how complex systems work, then you'd know that that actually isn't, that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the system. It's actually working as intended. That That's an expected outcome, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is the interesting thing about, I, I guess, philosophy. The If you... You can, there's certain philosophies that would have government organize society. I, I'm against that. I don't trust bureaucrats. I don't think that they have the power to end racism or to create like their bureaucracy is really good at creating a middle class um, that kind of just feeds off the rest of the public, but it should have no um, ability or expectation that it's going to solve bigotry or to necessarily solve um poverty necessarily uh but i do agree that the correct ideas uh, if you can put the correct ideas into the minds of people or into the cultural soup that will cause people to act to behave in a certain way and i guess with a libertarian leaning are you okay with people uh ruining their lives and ending up in tents and should there be some sort of apparatus to mm, provide people ways out of, oh, of uh, rock 
bottom? Is that how you uh, not um, overdetermine yeah. victimhood? <laughs> yeah, oh, totally. Like, I think people need to have absolute compassion for people that have ended up in shitty circumstances precisely because it's going to be due to reasons that they weren't the initial, um, you know, perpetrators of. Um, but then again, yeah, I agree with you. It's it's ideas that fix those problems, not systems that are imposed on top. So let people do as they need or as they want and then see, well, who turns up in shitty circumstances and what's putting them there and then what can we fix in maybe the psychology or the beliefs of this individual that sets them off on a better path rather than assuming that there has been some systemic injustice taking place or whatever it is. Um, and, and then again, going back to like the objectivist idea of you should be able to exercise some judgment in terms of like, well, if someone's, I don't know, like I'm thinking about like homeless shelters in the city I live in or something where you see people like sleeping out on the street and you're like, oh, that's so awful, like that they don't have a place to stay. And then you learn, well, actually, they can go and sleep in the homeless shelter if they want to. But if they go in with a knife, they have to surrender their weapon. Or if they go in with drugs or something, they're not allowed to take that in with them. And that person is choosing, I'd rather be outside than sleeping in the homeless shelter. So there has to be some understanding of like people are making choices and those choices are going to influence their lives and if they're never held responsible for the choices that they're making then you can't expect better outcomes to ever turn up Mm, mm -hmm. right yeah 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 so what is the uh have you met resistance to your ideas or in your interactions with the public at large through your social media platforms what are what are what do people push against you about if you're receiving any sort of drag yet it's interesting i haven't actually because i just started doing this quite recently so i feel like the the most pushback i got definitely was for those photos which i couldn't care less over uh, (laughs) in terms of people uh critically engaging with the things i'm putting out into the world i haven't received a lot of that yet um for whatever reason like definitely conversations with like friends and family or the rest of it that's where get into a heated little debate which i thoroughly enjoy um, but I'm fine with that because I think my approach is like, it's going to take me a while to kind of unpack everything and make sure, okay, mm-hmm. these all kind of integrate in a system mm-hmm. that isn't contradicting itself anywhere, but it's definitely not a traditional approach from any philosophy that I've encountered thus hmm. far. So that gives me some hope that, well, maybe I can put together a system of ideas that works. <laughs> what, what's the approach then, or what's unique about your approach that, that you find is emerging? Um, so a few things I like, I don't see many people uh, talking about determinism in the way that I am prone to. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see, I see people talking about complex systems, but not as they relate to uh, kind of social systems and the manifestations of like the world in its entirely. Um, I subscribe to critical realism, which is a philosophy that suggests that um essentially reality contains emergent layers and you can't study, you you can't from a lower level kind of gain all the meaningful information of a level that exists above it. So that has me critiquing a lot of issues with social science that I am um, prone to identify. Uh, essentially, I, I hate views that are kind of reduce people down to being like, oh, well, if this happens, this is going to be a logical consequence of that every time. I see people as these conscious agents where maybe there's a bit of a black box going on in terms of input to hmm. output. And you can never have like a definite rule of social behavior where like, oh, if you're raised by a single mother, that means that you're going to end up in this situation 100% of the time. It's always going to depend on like, well, who's that kid? What books were they reading? Who are their friends? What TV show did they watch that had some character say a sentence that made them think a different way? Whatever it may be. There's so many inputs going on. You can't ever just have a cause and effect, a correlation that you're Hmm. claiming to be true. And so I think lots of our discourse nowadays is suffering from the fact that there's such an intense pressure to kind of scientify talking about theory and make everything kind of based in this factual, like, oh, no, there's a study that proved this is the case, when really, did it it actually do that? Or are you just cherry-picking studies that kind of support your claims that are already being made? So I think that prevents, like, lots of meaningful conversations from taking place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I hear a little kitten. Yeah, the kittens uh, (laughs) uh, annoys some people, but uh, other people like the purring. We'll we'll give you a view. Okay, he's going to chew on the sweater right now. He's about to go to bed. Who are your heroes then? Mm, 
sampling. Um, Douglas Hofstadter, do you know who that is? Oh, uh, he did um, uh, the Escher Bach. Go to Escher Bach, uh, go, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like what, him why, a lot. What, what's, uh, what goes on in you interacting with what's going on in him? I, I think we, I, he's a thinker who aligns very closely with me, just in terms of um, also interested in complex systems, also interested in emergence. Um, mm-hmm. I, just kind of synthesizing very different um, approaches and worldviews and under a framework that I find very persuasive. Um, Ayn Rand for sure I like love her and it's so funny because she's such a controversial figure but I I find like just take a moment to read anything she's written and it's like completely fine Hmm. Um, I like uh, and what does she unlock in you what what does she make you feel like what what are the uh, oh my god it's so um, yeah it's amazing reading her books is nothing I find is more like motivational like her, her idea going into writing fiction was I want to give people um, kind of an ideal to aspire towards. So she writes heroes that are kind of out of this world, like they're, they're in how heroic they are and just in their their capacity to endure whatever it is and come out on top. And But I find like reading her books, I get so pumped up. I get so inspired. Um, she just is such an amazingly intelligent woman to me. And hmm. um, I'm constantly just kind of overwhelmed and impressed by her intellect. Um, but then also kind of getting, yeah. <laughs> inspired in what direction like you want to go topple statues you want to go build a skyscraper like what are you inspired to do or where where does that energy like where is it pushing you what direction um i think i want to kind of pick up from her intellectual torch maybe um and kind of further ideas and continue them um like 100 years in the future or whatever it is um Mm -hmm. updating the aspects that need to be updated and then delving deeper into the ideas that were like you know, she, she was a complete champion of laissez-faire, but then never really proposed, well, here is a system with all the bells and whistles figured out of how everything would interact. Because if you talk about to other people about, like, libertarian ideas, they're like, oh, well, who's going to build the roads? Everyone's got a million issues to take right away. So I'm very excited about the idea of developing uh, a full legal system that you can can someone and be like, okay, here's my little manifesto. Um, <laughs> so that gets me excited. Um, but then completely opposite of Rand would be like, I like uh, Baba Ramdas a lot too, or someone who he's like a, Baba Ramdas. He was um, one of the early, he was like a professor of psychology at Harvard in the 1960s. And he did a lot of like the early experimental research with psychedelics. And then eventually kind of having enough experiences with that, but never being totally fulfilled, he decided to go east and find a guru in India, where then he um, got a new name, which is Ram Das, And then he kind of brought a lot of those more Eastern philosophical ideas back West. So sort of similar to like Alan Watts or something. Um, he has a book B here now that I'm very into. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. you put Papa Ram Das, and I never heard the Papa. Papa. No, Baba. <laughs> oh, Baba. Okay. <laughs> Although I think Baba means father. So Papa word work too. And in in your history, uh, in your biography, what set you on the road to philosophy? And when was that? When did that start getting activated in your life? Um, so I went to, like, when I was 18, I went to U of T, like University of Toronto, for a year. Um, and then I decided to move back to Winnipeg after that and take a year off because I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do in school. And so that was in 2016, like right coming up to like the last election in the U.S. There was like lots of politics talk online. And I remember because I went to U of T when the first um, kind of news article came out that was talking about Jordan Peterson, like, oh, the professor doesn't want to use whatever pronouns or whatever it was. I remember seeing all of those and kind of following the story. So in the next year, as his career began to unfold, I was like watching all those interviews as they came out and stuff like that and just following those ideas and those thinkers. And then it seemed like a whole little collection arose, which is what I like, what I refer to as the IDW when there was stuff going on at Evergreen and then like the grievance studies affair and all that stuff, just that little coalition of people. Um, I've been like keeping track of all of that since it started unfolding. Um, And so then I I eventually got back into school, like after I took a year off um, and then went into politics and psychology but I felt like both of those things were kind of tackling philosophy indirectly. And then over time, as I kind of did mm-hmm. more of my independent 
study and listening and all the rest of it, I realized like, okay, that's the domain domain I'm really interested in. Mm -hmm. So where are we now? I guess this is the problem I'm having right now. It's because we have a week to go. Well, if the election is going to be decided on next Tuesday or not, (laughs) and it might not be, and there's all these different uh, ways of fit falling out, but I feel like we're suspended right now. We won't see how things actually shake out in popular discourse and then um, the way that big tech and MSM is shaping popular discourse, it's going to put us on a certain track of what we're allowed to talk about and not just allowed in being suppressed directly, but in being connected with one another. Like what ideas are we going to be able to see? um, And, you know, what ideas are going to be allowed to gain steam? So I don't really know where we're going to be headed, um, but I'm... I bring that up because I want to know where I want to ask. I don't know if it's we're going to be able to be relevant or predictive right now. But where do you think that the conversation is going to be headed? And where do you where do you see now that you are wanting to cast your stake into the matters? What what work do you think that needs to be done that you are going to be doing? Interesting. I guess you, um, you are. I know you're building you're building your systematically more or less building your, your philosophy. I understand that, mm-hmm. but, but where do you see you touching the ground of other people? And um, I'm very committed to the idea of like meeting people where they're at in terms of, I want to have a system of ideas that no matter where you're coming from in life, there's something that you can kind of um, identify with. And that like leads you along a little path, um, which is why I'm presenting everything in the way that I am. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure. Like, it's going to be an interesting generation I grew up as part of. Um, mm. There's so many people that are dead set on revolution, which I don't think it's going to happen. But then if it does, like, okay, I want to have the, you know, the, the document that <laughs> makes it through to the other side of like, okay, well, maybe this is a, a different starting point than people previously thought. Um, I guess, I, do you think things are going to change depend, much depending on the outcome of the American election? Or is it going to go the same direction regardless? Uh, I think that um, I am pretty optimistic. I don't think the world's going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of bluster online that won't necessarily translate into actual action in the street. I think that the protests that we saw over the summer were a result partially of the lockdown and a lot of energy being released. And Black Lives Matter was basically just the way for it to manifest and be justified and for the powers that be to allow the uh, the pressure cooker to release in that direction, but they won't let it release in different directions. If we have another Trump um, term, I see a lot of people just doubling down on what they were doing, but probably kind of falling into resignation. I see the left or the part of the left that are more or less the adults uh, probably still keeping up with their bluster, but it's so weird because People on the left see Trump as a moral problem, and they perceive him as some sort of incarnate of malignancy, and that probably is the case. He's very narcissistic. He doesn't give them much reason not to see that, but he also gives uh, people who support him a lot of reason to love him. Like He does actually fulfill a lot of emotional positivity for the people who go along in his direction. So... I see a lot of work to do. I'm rambling because I'm trying to get to to something because there's so many different factors here. But I see a lot of work to do of building coalitions. I'm really interested in investigating off-brand conservatism and interviewing and interacting with conservatives who aren't necessarily in the GOP. Um, And probably uh, that would include the libertarian domain, but I'm really interested in uh, renovating a strong conservative, uh, really clean uh, conservative 
conservative that has roots in traditionalism and seeing how we can bring forward the ideas of the past into the present in a in a good uh, open way uh, like Christianity and uh, mythology and different different things like that but also just traditional values how are they going to sustain us because I think that that will eventually be what sustains us and so we have to market them to uh, your generation and uh, you know to the would-be revolutionary um, they are repeating what their grandparents slash great grandparents did in the 60s. This is a reboot of the boomers. And mm-hmm. if you actually study what happened to the boomers after their wild and crazy times, they got into business and they got into cults. And there was a lot of different ways that that shook out. And eventually, this generation that's acting out right now, uh, that, that power, that energy will settle into something. So if we can provide them uh, paths towards stability, uh, in their lives and then in the perpetuation of life, um, maybe in the face of climate disaster, maybe not so much. I don't know. But, uh, you know, trying to dust off those old ideas and give it to to you guys. So in terms of the current events, there will be wackiness uh, in either direction. But the real work is to uplift the voices and uplift the ideas that that don't necessarily attract all the attention, but will sustain people going forward. Yeah, I, I totally would agree. I, I think it's interesting because people people have are correct to have certain grievances with uh, certain like conservative values or ideals. Like one of the things you mentioned was like, okay, bringing Christianity to the forefront, and I think that applies to some people. But then other people, it's like you're not, you're never going to persuade them in that direction. But so how do you find? How do you have a system that kind of has the same core values and ideas as a basis, but you're not then putting on this God figure that you need to buy into in order for those ideas to be persuasive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what are your, uh, what's your angle on religion then? Oh, I was raised by very liberal, uh, very like, I guess, atheist parents. Like I went to um, Quaker meetings as a kid, but really? do you know what that is? Yeah. Yeah. But so very, why don't you explain that to people who don't? Um, I don't know. Well, as a child, it's very simple. Like Quakerism is like the most laid back version of religion you could practice because it's like you get together on Sundays and the grownups all sit in a circle and essentially just meditate for an hour listening for God. And then if something comes into their consciousness that feels relevant, they'll get up and share it with the circle and then sit back down in silence again. So then as a kid, it just means you're playing quietly upstairs for an hour while your parents hang out downstairs with other grownups. Um, so, so that was a very um, light introduction to any sorts of spirituality. Um, but I, I definitely identify as like a full-on atheist. Oh, yeah. Uh, so yeah. is there room in a Sam Harris sense for a spiritual practice then? Yeah, or of course. A mindfulness? Or what are the terms or the, the parameters of that for you? Um. Hmm. I mean, sometimes I practice meditation, but I don't, to me, that's not very spiritual. That's just got more to do with like, uh, it's good to clear your head out and stuff like that. Uh, like Sam's got an entire book called Waking Up, which is about uh, uh, spirituality without religion. Um, but I, yeah, I guess I'm just, I'm not somebody who's very swayed by those influences in my life. Like I've got friends who do. And I, I think one of the interesting things about, um, the idea of like emergence, which I kind of mentioned earlier in terms of like the idea of reality has got these stratified layers to it is that, well, you can exist on one level as like a conscious individual and that's fine. But then maybe there are these higher order levels that are operating that have their own influences that you can't study through empirical scientific methods, but exist nonetheless. So I've got an open mindedness to spiritual interpretations, um, but I'm, I'm not buying into anything quite yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you see that that is going to be a factor in, sorry to say this, I don't mean this in a derogatorial, derogatory way or a reductive way um, either, but your generation, do you see uh, patterns of uh, atheism growing stronger or religion growing stronger? Or? Yeah, I think um, like more atheism is just a byproduct of living in a society where we've got many scientific answers to most of life's most fundamental questions. I I think in terms of 
there are maybe lots of religious practices that are beneficial in terms of um, just good good um, habits to keep and good frameworks, good states of mind to practice that maybe are being kind of lost in that like baby and bathwater issue of like, okay, well, hmm. you can leave the goddess, but maybe there's some practices that should be carried forward. Um, so people often talk about, you know, like, okay, well, there's a God-shaped hole or whatever it is. And I definitely don't feel that way, but also I think I've got a set of ideas that allow me to kind of stand on my own two feet and not feel like there's any part of me that's unfulfilled. So I think without good ideas as a substitute for religion that you're losing, then you are going to be suffering some adverse effects. Hmm. And those effects will have an emergent property on the level of uh, group behavior. Yes. Sad to say. <laughs> it can get a little bit terrifying. But I mean, there's been lots of religious fanatics. So it's always it's just groups that are bad, really. It's just don't, don't listen to other people. Listen to yourself. I think that's a good <laughs> Even if you're wrong, point. I don't know. I think uh, help, interacting with people is a good way of uh, crafting a good self and being oh, really attentive to the feedback that you get from other people. And uh, I think that social media... If you're not smart about it, it can kind of ratify or uh, intensify different ways of molding yourself. Like we were saying way, way back at the beginning of the conversation, like you could uh, you could find what gets you attention, whether it's being nasty or being sexy, and allow that to become your defining characteristic or allow the attention that that attracts to determine uh, the effect and the presence that you have eventually. So if you're smart about it and you understand that there's a game that you're playing beyond that, you're using uh, criticism, sarcasm, uh, a little bit of flesh uh, to, <laughs> to attract attention. But, but once you have the attention, then the real value is in what you're bestowing upon people whose attention you have for that two or three moments mm -hmm. and then leading them to something else. Yeah. And I, I definitely like, it's so easy to garner lots of attention online just by like being a little bit inflammatory and then yeah, getting exactly. lots of people that are very for you or against you. And that's definitely something that I'm not interested in participating in. It's like, sure, among friends, maybe I'll get a little bit riled up and say some things I don't actually mean. But in terms of sharing things online, I want to be as... Um, hmm. <laughs> I don't want to be shutting anyone out who might be a potential ear, but then you say something and they go, oh, okay, well now I can't listen to you because of some reason or another. And there's some people that were getting upset with me being like, well, I can't take you seriously if you're posting pictures of yourself like this online. And then, well, I don't need your ears. Like to me, that's like such a stupid uh, equation. <laughs> I think so, it's just a little bit too threatening or something. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack about that. What's, what's next on your plate? What's coming up next? For you, are you um, doing purely audio? Uh, are you going to jump to video uh, podcasts? And are you going to be writing? Or do you think you'll go the blogging route as well? Um, well, all the podcasting is like super heavily scripted. So I'm doing tons of writing right now just for preparing oh, for that. Um, video, I'm not too sure. Like I've got a YouTube channel, but I'm just posting like video analogs of the same content. Um Maybe in the future, that's not something I'm like currently planning on exploring. Um, the next episode of the podcast is about um, kind of like the hero's journey and individualism and getting into that like objectivist approach. So maybe that'll be interesting to you. And then I got invited to speak at the STOA, which I think I'm doing next week on November 2nd. So that'll be interesting as well. But I, I am just folk. happy to let yeah opportunities present themselves as they may and keep doing what I'm doing. And I think the world has a tendency of like, when you're going in the right direction, you get little treats that kind of <laughs> encourage your journey along a certain path. So the past week or two has been very like, oh, okay, maybe I'm doing something right. Hopefully we'll find out. When's, when's your uh, individual episode drop? Oh, we're not sure. I think it's so bad because I, I want to do a good job of presenting them. So like the writing will take me weeks and weeks and then recording it and editing it, I do in 24 hours. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Like ideally three weeks from now, but like this last one took a month and I don't want to make any promises in any direction. It's not an ideal format for a podcast because ideally people want to tune in every week. But I, I think more so I'm doing it for myself more than anyone else in terms of like, I just wanted to put in a time of like, developing these ideas and making sure I've got a strong grasp of them and how to explain them to other people. I don't really care about who's ultimately listening or what their motives are, but I mean, it's great if people are getting something out of it, which seems to be the response I've gotten so far. 
Could you um, give the random listener uh, a positive message or a negative message? Do you have like a a message? (laughs) A negative one? (laughs) Of hope or despair? No, (laughs) no despair. I I think some people, especially people my age that are not uh, participating in these woke circles are quite worried about the future. Um, And I'd, I'd encourage optimism wherever possible. Focus on yourself and what you can do in your immediate surroundings and environment and don't worry about fixing the entire world um positive message i'm not sure that's a really good positive or anything oh you aren't no you aren't (laughs) i'm just trying to give people a good note to land on but that is a good uh message to uh if you are feeling despair or hope like narrow your circle of influence to match up to your circle of agency, I guess, in a way, uh, Mm. and concentrate on something that's uh, more human size or more uh, amenable to you actually doing anything rather than getting lost in tides that you really can't focus on what you can control. Yeah. 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 And be kind to other people. Try to be understanding. Try not to get too worked up when, I don't know, somebody's saying something that <laughs> gets your panties in a twist for some reason. Understand, hey, they're just coming at it from whatever free set of backings that put them in a certain position. And you can try to build a, some foothold of a conversation to move forward on. And I think that's all we can do in life. And some people won't be open-minded to that, but that's fine. You know, give them about a year or two years. So people come <laughs> back around. <laughs> Good. Let's wrap it up there. Congratulations for reaching the end of the podcast. If you enjoyed this product, consider donating to this channel via paypal.me slash Benjamin Boyce or joining me on Patreon. Also follow me on Twitter at Benjamin A. Boyce. Have a good night.